Welcome to the Partners in Excellence broadcast. This is Dave Brock. Again, I'm really excited to bring a guest to talk about, I think, one of the most critical issues for sales management, and it's it's recruiting, hiring, and onboarding high-performance salespeople. You know, ideally what we want to do is we, we look to replace salespeople or grow our teams. We want to really be able to find those A players, those top performers. Recruiting, hiring, uh, and, and onboarding ends up being, I think, one of the most important jobs of a sales executive. So today I'm delighted to have Al Drucker uh, here to talk to us about it. He and I have been holding conversations actually for a number of weeks on on this issue and some of the things he's done in his organization and what he does as as a professional to really look at, at recruiting teams that are A players. Al, welcome. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. Thanks so much for agreeing to be with us. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your current role, and, and, and that kind of thing so people can get to know you a bit. Sure, sure. So I'm a uh, vice president of sales for uh, North America. So I work for a large uh, professional services and software organization where we predominantly play uh, in the Fortune 1000 space, specifically with companies that are deploying a large-scale ERP, CRM implementations. So we do everything from complex software solutions, professional services, hosting, um, the entire gamut. Um, so what we deal with from a, a, a sales perspective is we deal with very long, um, complex um, sales cycles, which is, is obviously something that you want to ensure that you have the right uh, sales guys um, driving and managing those opportunities and making sure that we can you know, attain the revenue targets that we set out to accomplish. That process is a, I mean, your sales cycle is a huge, very complex process, and you're going after big dollars. So you have to make sure that you have really top performers in those roles. As you look at expanding your sales team and trying to, to recruit um, top performers and A players, as you start looking at that, how do you figure out what you're looking for, and how do you figure out what an A player looks like? You know, it's 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 a combination of a lot of things. So when we, you know, if you start at the the core and the basics, you know, down to an individual's resume, you know, I work with my HR department to basically empower them to understand as much as possible about our business, about the role, um, for the types of individuals that we're looking for, so they can kind of get through a lot of the uh, resumes and candidates quicker than I can and kind of filter through it. So specifically, um, looking just purely at the resume, I'm looking at background. You know, if you start to see individuals that are moving around in less than a year time frame or they're not able to sustain a position for more than two or three years, that's a major red flag. And what is that red flag? You know, typically folks that are in the space, in the enterprise space, where they have large and complex sales cycles, they come on board, um, collect a, a, a decent salary, and then once the pressure turns up, they leave and go to the next company. So typically we look for someone that's at least had at least two to three years of experience, or if they are jumping around on their resume, you're seeing an upward trajectory. So they're moving into lead roles or they're moving into bigger positions. Um, that's the first thing that we filter through. Yeah, one um, thing, go ahead. No, so that's that's kind of what we do at the, at the very front end. And then once we've actually been able to uh, filtered through some of those resumes. Our HR does some initial screening. 
Um, they look for specific uh, background experience and keywords um, that we're looking for in the conversation and dialogue. And then from there, uh, we run the candidates through an evaluation process, uh, which is more of a kind of psychological uh, test, just to kind of see how they answer certain questions, how do they think. And then based upon those results, I'll then review those results and then determine whether or not this candidate, at least from what we've initially screened and how they've gone through the assessment, uh, whether or not it makes sense for me to have a conversation with them. I'm, I'm really happy you brought up the point about looking at longevity and past jobs. I mean, so many times these days I see people, um, you know, moving, you know, every 12 months from job to job to job, you know, perhaps upgrading or whatever. But, you know, it, particularly as I look at a business like yours where you have a really long sales cycle, you know, a person that's only been in the previous three jobs at a year each you know, they really haven't been around long enough to produce results. So, you know, as I assess people like that, I say, you know, are the results they're claiming the results that they produced or the results that their predecessor produced? And I see a huge kind of, you know, cavalierness around this whole thing that, that you know, people are rotating jobs but never in a job long enough to be accountable for the results they produce. So... Uh, I, I'm, I was glad to hear you reinforce that belief. One of the things, a couple of questions. One is I'm really interested in your use of psychological tests. Is that a test that you've developed yourself, or is it something that you've procured through, uh, you know, there are lots of organizations out there supplying tests like this? We, we have third parties that we use. So we, we yeah. try to measure everything from, you know, just pure um, aptitude, emotional intelligence, um, or different variables that we look like as well. And then we customize those assessments based upon um, our business and then use them. We try to keep them not too short, but not too long. Um, yeah. And it's very interesting, the data that you get back um, and some of those tests that you roll out. I, I think, uh, you know, for years I wasn't uh, a strong advocate of it, but the, the, the instruments that are out on the street right now and, and that are available are really powerful and they have great indicators and they identify things that you might not even uh, identify in an interview. So having those as, as a way to supplement your knowledge about uh, a candidate or even to, to screen and get the right candidates in in the first place, I think is really powerful. One, Go ahead. So one, one thing that's very helpful is, uh, me in particular, I use the assessments as a way to really drive um, the initial phone screening. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, most competent sales folks can get through an initial phone call with HR, um, and they could, most of them can get through a, a conversation with the hiring manager. But what the assessments provide me is uh, just more specifics on behavioral patterns. You know, what are some of their traits? What are certain things to kind of poke at and certain questions to ask them so that you're, instead of using a blanket template that you're using for that initial screaming, it's a little bit more customized and based upon what the data that you've already gathered from that candidate beforehand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of the things that get concerned about is we see a lot of people that have perhaps maybe the right skills and experiences. They've been really great salespeople, maybe in past jobs, and have compelling results. You know, you know that they are great salespeople, but the question that I always have is, are they the, going to be great salespeople for us? Because I think beyond just skills, experiences, you know, marketplace experience and so on, there are a lot of issues really around 
cultural fit around behaviors and around attitudes that, you know, sometimes you see a very great salesperson in the wrong company or in the wrong job. And for whatever reason, there's no match in alignment between them and they fit, they fail to be successful where they have been successful in the past. How do mm-hmm. you look at those kinds of, you know, cultural, behavioral, attitudinal issues, all of which have to be kind of aligned with the value system in what works within your own company? Sure. So there's there's a lot that we do um, when we're when we're measuring that. So that kind of dovetails into the actual process when it begins. So assuming a candidate has made it through uh, the initial phone screening with myself is when the fun really begins. Um, one of the things that I've learned over the years is that you know when you're hiring someone, um, you really have to test them, and you really have to test for different sorts of skills and competencies that you're looking for. You know, you're, you're testing for critical thinking skills. Is this person coachable? Um, are they actually culturally going to fit within my team and within my organization? And there's ways that you can do that. So walking you through some of the, the specifics of, of that process. One is I, I don't want to meet with a candidate and just have a conversation about their resume. That, that doesn't do much for me. I think anyone can kind of dance around that. What I look for is how does this individual perform under stress? How do they perform on stage? How do they prepare? Um, and how do they interact? And so what we do is we provide the candidates uh, within 24 to 48 hours of when they actually have an in-person meeting, and we give them a, basically a, a PowerPoint template and a scenario. And they basically have to come in. Uh, it's relatively last minute, right, because we want to add some pressure. And they have to basically pitch our company to us uh, based upon a scenario that we've created uh, based upon a client that we've onboarded. So they have to show up. They don't know about our company. So I'm trying to measure how do they use the resources online? Um, how do they build the value proposition? Can they articulate our value proposition without me training them or telling them? Um, so we get an idea as to how they prepare and how they, how they conceptualize their thoughts on paper. Um, and then we have them come in and, and actually present. And mm-hmm. it's very interesting. Um, over the years, uh, I've had candidates that were phenomenal on the phone and very good at explaining their background and selling themselves. I've had candidates completely freeze. Um, I've had candidates go completely emotional because what we do is we create an environment just like you're going to experience in the real world where, you know, I'll play the role of a CIO of a Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000 companies. You'll have some senior IT people in the room. You'll have third-party system integrators involved, and we'll role play. And this candidate is walking into the room with, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that I was going to have to deal with all these people, and now I have to come <laughs> present. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really interesting to see you know how they perform there and, and measure just how they they conceptualize you know their the, the what we do and, and present it, and then we also throw them some curveballs too. Uh, we can we finish the meeting and then suddenly just kind of out of out of nowhere we'll ask them to basically uh, we'll have a laptop set up for them and we'll say okay you need to type up an email right now and tell us you know how the meeting went and wh- how would you follow up in the scenario. So what I'm trying to do there is how does this person react to stress, how do they write, you know, how do they communicate, how do they understand what just took place in the meeting, were they able to really uh, quantify action items, next steps, all of those different things, and then we see how they, they react um, in that scenario. So that's one piece in terms of, of seeing how this individual can perform um, mm-hmm. on stage, and it's amazing, um, as an unfortunate, as, as expensive as it is, but how many candidates just can't even get it through there. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but it's a hugely powerful way to really, you know, test them. And, and I really like that in terms of their critical thinking, their ability to think on their feet, 
you know, how much they prepared and really researched and, and you know, kind of some indication of how much they really care about the opportunity in, in improving themselves. Absolutely. And then so from a uh, kind of after that process takes place, I usually have them sit with one of my solution engineers and go through a full product uh, demonstration. The purpose of the exercise is kind of twofold. Uh, one is you're, is you're kind of getting them excited about the technology and you're, you're giving them an overview of the details and giving them an opportunity to ask questions. What I've trained my SEs to do is they are probing the candidate with questions in terms of what does this mean to you? How, what, what would this mean in a, in a client scenario? So we're trying to just kind of, does this person really understand this? Can they process what, they really, what this really means from a buyer's perspective? What are some concerns? So we, we gather data from that interaction as well too. And then the, um, the third one is from a cultural perspective. Is uh, one, I, I, I use my admin as, as the initial uh, kind of feeler. And she's the one that I encourage her to get interactive with the candidate before I even meet them. You know, how are they on the phone? Are they nice to you? Are they friendly with travel? And it's amazing yeah. times where you have candidates that are very different to my admin versus myself or different to other folks on the team. It's the major red flags as well. Um, I'll send in some of my solution engineers where I trust their opinion and impressions. And I'll literally, when we debrief on some of the interviews, I'll say, can you work with this person or not? Can you envision yourself working with them out on the field? Many times they'll say yes. Many times they'll say no. And I trust their, their opinion as well. The, so you've covered a huge amount of powerful stuff here. I want to kind of backtrack through it. You know, so some of the things that you're doing that I think I, I'm seeing more and more companies do, but I'm not seeing enough do, is, you know, this whole scenario, the simulations, um, you know, the role plays, going through that product demo and, and looking at that. And my guess is you're looking less for them providing the right answers, but more for how do they think, how do they respond, how do they adapt. Uh, is that true? Absolutely correct. And, and okay. we try as much as you try to, to, to prep the candidate to say, hey, the objective here is not for you to, to demonstrate proficiency in our technology. We don't expect you to do that. Right. But we want to see what you can do with the resources that are available um, online for you. Because at the same time, you're looking at it when you're, when you're prospecting an account or you're getting ready to prepare for a big meeting. As a sales executive, you have to be able to know how to research. You know how to get yeah. information. Right? Knowledge is power before you show up for a meeting. So if you can't do enough research and consolidate your thoughts and create some sort of pitch based upon a, a future employer that you're, you're looking to join, you're probably not a fit in the longer term. Yeah. The other thing that you're doing, which, uh, you know, I think is, is so much a, a best practice is you're involving a group of people in evaluating the candidate. I, I think including your, your, your executive assistant as a resource in that is a brilliant idea, but including the SEs and others so that it's not just your opinion, but you're, you're getting the input of other people, of, you know, what do they think? Well, can they work with that person and so on? And, and too often I see it's just, you know, a single interview with a, a sales manager and that's it. Um, so I really love that. I love the idea of the executive assistant. I don't know. I, I remember years ago I was with um, uh, an EVP of sales, and we were interviewing regional VPs. 
And uh, by chance, I happened to be talking to the receptionist out in the front um, in the front lobby, and she mentioned, she said, how'd that guy go? And I said, well, he seemed pretty good, all that kind of thing. Then she told me that she'd been, while he was waiting, she'd been listening to him on the phone where he was, you know, calling some of his buddies and, and disparaging the company and laughing off the opportunity and all that sort of stuff. So they see behaviors that that we don't see, and they're instincts probably are, are better than lots of our instincts. I, I love how you're leveraging your executive assistant with that. Yes, it's, it's uh, definitely useful. And I mean, the, the, the last part of, of uh, at least this phase of the interview process is after we've kind of spent half a day having the candidate go through all this process, then I meet with them again one-on-one -on -one in person. Yeah. And um, I ask them questions, just kind of reviewing the meeting, see how they react. And by this point in time, they're usually pretty, pretty tired and worn out because we we run them through some some, some pretty intense sessions. Yeah. But in that exercise, I like to critique them in their presentation and give them my thoughts. And what I'm looking for here is, is how does this person react when it comes to being coached, right? Are they defensive? Do they start to push back? And it's very interesting that I've had a lot of candidates that just in that initial interview day. I was like, wow, if this person is already that defensive and you're not even on board, I can't even imagine six months from now. So it's just other things to pry for in terms of looking at can we work together and what will this look like if we are working together in the future? That's, that was actually my next question. I was going to ask how do you assess coachability and, and, and also I'm glad you discussed that. I, I think, you know, I've always been a big fan of, of what Mark Roberge did at HubSpot, Mark always went through kind of the role plays that, that you described. Then he'd sit down and coach the person on how they might improve it. And then he'd run the role play again to see how much they incorporated the coaching into, um, uh, into the, the redo of the role play. And, and also, you know, both kind of your feedback to them and their reactions are these multiple uh, simulations of the role play are really powerful to look at how coachable, how quickly they learn, and in how they take feedback. I, I think that's hugely powerful. So once they've gotten through that point, what's next in the process? Uh, we go through it again, <laughs> except this time it's 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 narrowed down to myself. Um, I'll have uh, my boss, our CEO, and uh, EVP. Um, and then I'll have uh, our most senior technical uh, director interview them as well, too. Okay. Uh, we'll go through this, the same scenario, the same kind of role play, um, just to see how they perform. And usually uh, the ones that we have hired and onboarded, the, the, the impre impression that we got and the performance was the same. Uh, okay. We've filtered through a lot of candidates, and that's kind of final interview where you start to notice some of the things that you picked up on before. You know, the person may not be coachable, or they clearly still don't don't understand this and are kind of all over the map, or they're dancing around. And so it becomes the final assessment. And I, 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 you know, by bringing in my boss, he's got a different perspective on it as well, too. And so usually because we think alike and we've been working together for so long, he comes at it from a different angle, but we still are looking for similar traits. Uh, so that just kind of helps put a bow on the whole process. Super, super. And, and so, I mean, uh, what, one thing that strikes me here, again, I think as a best practice, is y you and the company are investing a lot of time and resource into this. I mean, you're, you're pulling people away from their jobs for, you know, for hours 
for each candidate and, and, you know, for a lot of candidates to really test and assess, you know, whether you're getting the right person. Um, uh, and you're bringing them in multiple times and exposing them to other people. So the company really has a, a is committing a lot of time and really has, a, it sounds like a, a great commitment to getting the right people. Any, any sense to, you know, how many people do you go through to find the right candidate? Do you have any kind of rough experience base or rules of thumb? You know, um, I'll answer it in two ways. One is I am I'm constantly keeping my eye out for talent just based upon my network. So a lot of the folks that I've hired, in particular folks that did not come from a sales background, that I just knew that that talent was in them, they just didn't know that they had it, uh, were folks from my own network that I just kind of little by little uh, began to, to consider them or lure them in, and a lot of them are working for me now. Um, those are, are, are relatively quick, but it's, 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 it's a process of selling them on something different for them because we know that they've got the potential. Now, if you're looking at uh, the area where you're just doing you know, job posts and so forth, which is not my preference, but uh, many of us have to use that, um, that can take some time. I mean, I, I would say that there's several dozen uh, candidates that we go through before we can, yeah. can even get down to a phone screen. Um, you're absolutely right. It is a, a time constraint, and then naturally, us as, as sales leaders, we're constantly getting pressure to hire quicker, hire quicker, but you have to manage up and think strategically. Um, I'd rather take the pressure of, hey, you're not, get somebody on board, get someone on board. I'd rather push that back and be able to get the right person versus rushing to the wrong person, uh, which can cost us millions in the long run and cost us a loss of business as well, too. So it's, it's a balance in both areas. Right. In in the case of, of your business, again, you truly are making multi-million dollar uh, decisions because, you know, I, I imagine the ramp time to productivity with these people, the size of the deals that they're dealing with. So the opportunity costs of a bad hire or even the, the, the opportunity costs of pissing off customers and losing customers because of a bad hire is really huge. So, you know, taking that time to get the right person is absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something a moment ago that I'd like to go back to, which is maintaining a pipeline of, of candidates. So often I see sales managers, they have an open position, and there's this, this sense of urgency of, I need to fill that position really quickly because I need to get that get people on board and going. And it's then that they start taking lots of shortcuts. They start settling for candidates that might not be as skilled. They shorten the interview process and things like that. Um, and it's usually because they, they don't maintain some sort of pipeline of candidates. Tell me a little bit more about uh, about what you do and how you how you maintain that uh, pipeline of candidates that you know when you have an opportunity you might be able to reach out and tap someone pretty quickly. So first and foremost, I'm always hiring, and I don't mean that in the literal sense. But yeah, yeah. Mentally, I'm 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 always hiring, and that's not just for uh, sales executives that may work for me, but other areas within our organization. So I always have 
you know, my, my radar is constantly going. And so once I kind of, my radar starts going off in, in, in the right direction that this could be a potential person, I begin to start kind of planting those seeds and establishing that, that relationship. And let's just call it, you know, the, the Rolodex of potential hires. Um, we've also uh, had instances in the past where we've, through our, our network or our partners, we've run into folks that we may not necessarily have a position for them at that particular instance in time. Uh, but if from a budgetary perspective it makes sense and we can bring them on board, we get them on board just because if we want to retain the talent. Okay. Um, but, I guess, but just fundamentally, it's just constantly. So, you know, even, even now I'm not hiring, but I'm so every time that I'm interacting with folks, whether I'm at a trade show, conference, or client meeting, working with a partner, I've always got my eyes and ears uh, making sure that hey, could this person be someone that we onboard one day. Yeah, I, I think and one mantra I would have for every sales executive is the mantra of always be hiring. I mean, continually look for talent. And like you say, whether it's a trade show, an industry event, you know, whether you just, you know, run across somebody in an airplane or, or, or something like that is, you know, always be searching for talent because you never know that 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 time when you need to get somebody, you really want to shorten that cycle of finding the right person. So uh, I, I, it's 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 such a critical thing to, you know, constantly be, you know, build your own pipeline of, of potential candidates that can come in um, into the role. So once you've, you've, you know, finalized on a candidate and you, you offer them the job, what's next in your process? How do you, how do you get them to, um, is there usually a complex negotiation process to accept a job? And once they accept the job, what does onboarding look like? So I'm um, I'm I'm very transparent when it comes to uh, compensation, what what the total comp can look like, the reality of compensation when you're dealing with you know a, a nine to twelve month ramp up. I do that throughout the process. So as mm -hmm. I am, I'm spending seventy five percent of my time really identifying whether or not this person is a fit based upon the competencies that we're you know measuring and, and testing. But then the other twenty five percent, I'm also selling them on you know, the value of coming to work for us, whether it's compensation or the culture of the company, what innovation we take to market and so forth. So I don't believe, I've seen a lot of sales managers in the past that sometimes I feel like they oversell the job. Yeah. So I think you have to sell it enough to where the candidate's excited, like, wow, I, I really want to work here. And I think in my experience, the better you do that and the better you talk about the money, the better you talk about uh, the benefits, everything else, by the time that they have an offer letter in front of them, there really is no going back and forth because you've kind of pre-negotiated that before the offer letter even went out. Um, so that's that's how I handle that piece. Yeah. Um, when it comes to onboarding, uh, we have just you know checklists that we've put together. You know, technical checklists in terms of making sure everything on the administrative side they're set up in our CRM, um, our internal systems that we use, um, all of the tools that they need, and then I. I um, I get them uh, to start spending a lot of time with the existing sales team. You know, right okay. now, the guys that I have on board all have different strengths. Some of them are, are former consultants, some of them are former IT guys, and some of them are just former straight sales guys. So that's created a nice uh, melting pot in terms of, of the skill set that I have. Um, I have the, the, the new hires spend a lot of time with them, and then I already start giving them uh, goals that we need to do. So, for example, you know, within a month, um, they have to be able to role play with me based upon the tools that we've given them in terms of positioning the company. Um, one of the things that we do that I don't think is very common out there, but every single individual on my team 
uh, knows how to demonstrate our software, knows how to use our software, so they're not solely relying on a solution engineer. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what I've learned is that when you, even though they're not technical, but when you force them to learn the product and when you force them to be able to get into the weeds, wow, does that light bulb turn off a lot quicker versus them having yeah. to rely on a technical guy to do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so, I, I mean, there's some really good things there, you know, kind of shadowing and mentoring from their peers, you know, putting, you know, specific learning objectives and putting them under some pressure to, to accelerate those learning objectives and demonstrate them to you. Um, what's, you know, because, I mean, you do have a probably one of the more complex and, and challenging sales um, I, I've seen. What's the general ramp time to full productivity with your, your folks? Traditionally, it's been 9 to 12 months. Uh, I'm looking yeah. to reduce that to 6 months. And that's, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of a goal that we've had for this year with some of the new guys that we've brought on board and moving forward. Wow, that's huge. How are you doing that? So a lot of it is is we've put a lot of, of documentation and processes on place. Um, we're having a lot more frequent training. So um, we have training that is a lot scenario-based, uh, simulation-based. Yeah. We really want to test these guys. Um, I use our client enablement group, which is the group that we have internally that both services our customers and us internally. Um, to help us with providing uh, resources that the sales folks can use to help themselves ramp up. Um, you know, the, a lot of our guys are satellite, which adds another layer of complexity, right, because I can't see this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're working from home. Um, so a lot of it is, is having the right management touch points, um, having the right resources available, but most importantly, you know, really measuring whether or not they're starting to progress. And I mm -hmm. think the more that you do that and the more strategic you are on how you measure uh, the more you can make this person efficient in the shortest amount of time. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fascinating because, I mean, you know, reducing the, the onboarding time, you know, down to six months is, is, is really huge. And, and um, 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 you know, that's really fascinating. Outstanding. Well, kind of is, as we, we've kind of walked through this whole process, um, and, you know, as I know in my own experience, as, as rigorous a process as I, I make this, you know, and as cautious as I am, I've made some hiring mistakes. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm, my guess is you've probably made some hiring mistakes yourself. Uh, can you share with us, you know, what's the biggest hiring mistake you made um, and what did you learn from it? Several. <laughs> so um, <laughs> one is one is rushing. Um, you know, moving through things too quickly just because you're you're pressured to hit a certain number or you're trying to ramp to a certain number and and moving too quickly with a person um, and not not testing them enough or not really you know pushing things in terms of the assessment. I mean. Sometimes, you know, folks will say, wow, your, your, your interview process is, is very rigorous and, and very stressful. Well, it's like, well, guess what? <laughs> when you're actually out in the field and, and selling to the people that we sell to at the levels that we sell to, uh, it, it's very high pressure. And if you can't deliver, you can blow a multi-million dollar deal. So um, that's one of them. Uh, the other one is just, you know, not going with my gut. And so uh, sometimes you were, you know, my gut's telling me one thing and I'm kind of conflicted with it and then I, I go against my gut and then it can come back and, and blow up in my face. But I would say fundamentally um, it really is two things. It's rushing 
and two, not really doing your due diligence and ensuring yeah. that you have proven to yourself that this individual can do what it is that you expect them to do in the job and you've tested yeah. them enough. Yeah. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, this has been a hugely, you know, terrific conversation. I, I mean, I, I, part of what I love about it is it kind of reinforces my own thinking and some of what we, uh, the advice that we provide our clients. Is there anything we've missed? You know, back to your the, the topic of, of of ramp up and, and and onboarding. You know, this is this is coaching that I've received from from my boss, which I've put into place. That that's working tremendously. Is that you know, my team continues to grow. So as we start to add more sales executives and more solution engineers, more guys on the partner side, I only have a certain amount of, of, of hours in a given day. So it gets to the point where I can't be the subject matter expert for everything, right? So I can't help everyone uh, ramp as quickly as I would like. So what I do now is I kind of load balance through my existing team. So I've appointed the guys that are most senior or the guys that are hungriest for kind of the next, next best thing in terms of a, a career move um, is put them in lead roles. So what I've set up now is the newer guys go to the team leads for kind of simple questions, whether it's product questions or, hey, this customer's asking me for this. How do I manage this, this you know, uh, pushback or this question? So I have them kind of work together. And what I'm doing, it's a kind of a, it's a twofold approach. It's one is I'm distributing that workload so it's not just coming all on me. Yeah. And two, I'm now assessing the players that I have on the field who is eventually going to be able to replace me, right? Um, so that's something that, you know, we've, we've put in place and recently, uh, and it's been working pretty well. Yeah, that was I, that was the observation I was going to make. I mean, that's brilliant because as you start looking at, you know, either somebody replacing you so you can grow, go up to bigger levels of responsibility, or as you grow your your organization and need to put man, more managers in place, you know, you're now starting to to give them the opportunity to develop that before they even step in the role, and and assess, you know, have them assess their interest in doing this, and you assess you know, their likelihood of being successful. So that's that's really fantastic. Well, thanks so much for sharing your ideas. It's, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. If people wanted to find you, what's the best way for them to find you and reach out to, to contact you? Uh, best way is LinkedIn. Okay. So, so Al Drucker at LinkedIn, I'll put that, put your LinkedIn uh, address in, in the show notes. And again, Al, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. <laughs>